Welcome to another episode of the Badass Women of Central Park, where every time we bring you an awesome journey of a badass woman in our neighborhood. My name is Dan Clark, and it is my honor to host this podcast and get to learn from so many of you each time. It is my goal for you to see yourself as the badass you truly are. This episode's badass is Gina LeMay. Gina moved from Madison, Wisconsin to Denver in 2014 with her daughter, Zena, who just happens to be a dog. She has 20 years experience in the mental health industry and a passion for understanding and taking care of people and animals. Using her outgoing personality, she started to introduce herself to the community in Denver and specifically in Central Park, where she was accepted with open arms, or should I say, open paws, as a new woman entrepreneur. The people she started networking with taught her about the industry and also helped her realize her own abilities. The concept of her company logo and slogan are a combination of the service she provides as well as a reflection of her love for basketball and fur babies alike. G-Dog's Pet Service LLC, your streets, our game. She decided to start G-Dog's Pet Services to offer the highest standard of care, competence, and trust for her clients. This podcast is brought to you by Mama Bird Memories, where we empower black, Latina, and indigenous women from Montbello through guided conversations with your loved ones. Now doing graduation conversation recordings, wisdom conversation recordings, and wedding conversation recordings. We are doing such good and important work on so many levels. Please support Mama Bird Memories. Good morning, Gina. It's so nice to be with you here this morning. You've woken up very early to talk to me. It is 5 a.m. in Colorado time when we're talking, so I appreciate that because it's in the afternoon here in Poland. We do not know each other, but I feel like we've connected online, as you've probably connected with so much of the community online through your work and just being the person you are. Um, So I really appreciate you joining me today, and I'm really excited to hear more about your story and your business um and the pets you love and help families with uh, but also your personal journey so we were talking a little bit before and you told me you're originally from the midwest where did you grow up Uh, i grew up in rockford illinois a small suburb east of uh chicago 60 miles east of chicago what was life like growing up in rockford illinois uh for me growing up in rockford it was a small town smaller mid-sized town um Sports was my life growing up in Rockville, Illinois, from soccer to basketball. Um, I started playing sports when I was in middle school uh, with the boys. The boys made me better. Um, And then just started playing more basketball and started my first uh, job as a dishwasher at 12 years old at a restaurant called Bear Den and use that money to uh, pay for basketball camps so I could get exposed to college coaches. I uh, graduated from Rockford East High School in 1991 and was the leading scorer of a thousand point career at East. Um, our team wasn't very good, I was good, so it was hard sometimes to be like the team and didn't have the best players, but you had to motivate them to become better players in ways. So that's kind of Rockford. Grew up in a family that was a divorced family. So my mom raised me with my brother and 
just a hardworking mom who works a couple jobs sometimes to support us and to give us the life that we wanted. She was so involved in supporting our my love for my sport at that time. It seems to me when you talk that you talk about doing things pretty strategically and kind of with intention that you wanted to go get this job so that you could get in the camp so you could get to that next level. Have you always been kind of mature for your age, kind of seeing the, the pathway in front of you? Um, yeah, I think I knew I wanted to, I had a dream to play at Northern Illinois University and that was my dream to play division one. And I was recruited by a few smaller schools uh, and was offered, um, I, had, I remember a meeting, I went to, with my mom to Northern with coach Jane Albright. And she said, I couldn't travel with the team, but I could be on the team and they were a top 20 program. And so I said yes and um, played for Northern Illinois my freshman year. I didn't play at all, but was surrounded by top 20 coaches now that I see watching TV that they um, trained me, coached me had all Americans that I played with. And now I see those women now coaching big schools and had played small basketball, small professional basketball. Um, so, yeah. Then in uh, May of that year, we talked about hard things, how we kind of pivot when we don't know what's gonna happen. I, I got had a meeting with Coach Jane Albright, uh, May of my freshman year and after finals, she said I couldn't travel with the team the following year. And I was like, okay, what do you do? I thought about it and she asked me if I needed help with that. If I, she wanted to help me with other, other programs I could go to. And I said, no, I'll figure it out. So I did, I looked at who won the NAI championship and the division three championship that year and called those coaches and said, I'm eager to learn about their programs. And um, I maybe would want to transfer. So I had a couple of meetings with them and um, over the phone. And I decided to go to St. Ambrose University Division II school, NAI school, because I had won the championship the year before and met the coach and it felt right. So I, that's where I was going. And when I showed up um, for college that year, there was a new coach, Robin Becker. And um, I didn't play much that year. And she was a little hard coach and it was hard, I think, we she didn't know how to motivate me the right way and it just wasn't a good fit but I respect her now looking back on it because hard people push you to drive you and I still think about those days and coach how she coached but she's a head coach at University of Missouri now and um during that year I think I lost the love for basketball so that was hard um then I went to uh I stopped playing at Ambrose. Um, they, they had soccer that year. So that was the first year of soccer at St. Ambrose University. And um, I played on that team for a little bit uh, that spring, but then school got to be so expensive because I wasn't getting any scholarship money. I transferred back to Northern Illinois University and um, was there for about a year and a half. And then I dropped out because I wasn't an athlete anymore. And I didn't identify as who am I now? So I had to find myself. Um, I had first I had depression that year. And I think that's why I dropped out too, because you just, you're not 
who you thought you were for so many years of your life. So what were you going to do? So um, then I started working in social work. I moved back to Rockford and finished up my degree and began social work. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think that so much of, I'm not an athlete. I, I tried to play high school basketball and didn't make, didn't make it. But I think that when you are an athlete, especially if you're a good athlete, you do so much identify with, with that. And especially if you've been good since you've young, been young and people have been really respecting for you, they get a lot of your love from that. And then when it gets to be collegiate, it's so insanely competitive um, and different things, factors go in there. So that must've been hard to kind of lose that identity. Were you at that time knowing what you're going to do kind of from a career standpoint? Did you have a view of that or was kind of the college part secondary and you're really focusing on athletics? How did you get into your kind of career field? Um, when I moved back to Rockford, I started working with people with disabilities and reached out to my old basketball coach, Andy Goff, who was my high school coach. And um, she said she needed help coaching. So I started my career as a, as a high school basketball coach, helping her as an assistant at the freshman level at Guilford High School and coached for like five years with her and started my kind of feet in the social work, mental health career choice. And that did that for about 15 years of social work, mental health, worked with sex offenders, people with brain injuries, uh, worked for the state of Wisconsin at a metal maximum security forensic hospital. And I was a direct line care staff. So worked with people that had killed people or had offended on kids or just a lot of different guys. I worked with all guys and juvenile corrections kids too. So it was working with all different kinds of people. It taught me so much. Um, a violent, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you, because these are important jobs, but they, there's no way you can't take on so much of that, those um, issues. And you already talked about depression that you were, you were dealing with even outside of that. How do you balance knowing that you're doing an important job, it's important work, someone has to be doing that work, you do it well, with also trying to remain sane yourself and, and happy and all those things? Um, you don't take those jobs, whatever you went through, when you walk out those doors, you just leave it there and you take care of yourself, um, eating right, exercising, getting massages, acupuncture, um, visualizing, meditation, whatever that looks like for you. If you believe in God, you pray, um, you find that, you find that team that supports you, um, Co-workers, especially at the maximum security hospital I worked at, I had great co-workers and you just, you create your own family there. So some girls that come visit me still here from Wisconsin, we all work together at that maximum security hospital together, but um, yeah. And so then this point you're doing social work, um, you were doing coaching in the past. Uh, I know now, especially in our neighborhood, you're known for your love of animals and for your, for your dog business. Was this something that you had like on your mind this whole time? Was it, have you always loved animals? Take me to kind of how you got into the, the business that you started now. Uh, I was working my third shift 
mental health job at the community um, crisis center Aaron, there in Aurora. I worked for Aurora Mental Health. And um, during third shift, there was some downtime. So I was looking for just extra jobs to work. And a woman was looking for a dog walker within her business. And so I reached out to her and asked um, if we could have a meeting because I'm interested in helping her with her business. And I worked for her for about seven months. And after that, decided, well, gosh, I could do this on my own. I first asked her, I go, can I help you grow your business? And she's like, no, I don't want to. And I was like, okay, so that's all I needed to hear, I guess, um, to do, to figure out how to start my own business and still work at the mental health job. I worked two 12-hour shifts at night, third shift. Um, initially, when I started my business, the dog business. So um, working and just figuring it out when I was walking dogs, how, what, it, what a business like this would look like for me. So I reached out to um, some big people that own successful businesses with dogs um, in Denver, Popsicles. I reached out to her owner, uh, Laura Piner from Positively Pooches. I reached out to her and just kind of started networking and telling them, I want to start my own business. How do you do this? And I'll never forget their conversation. Um, they just gave me great advice and um, kind of went from there. I needed a name. I was going to name it after my dog, Xena, but then I was like, no, no I, don't, I don't like that name. So this G-Dogs came and I wanted it to be with a Z, not S, because that's just ordinary. I, didn't want, I don't like to be ordinary. So that's how, um, I guess, the name started. And then the tagline, I went back and forth. You know, you, your streets are game. I wanted to correlate basketball with it because basketball is my passion. <laughs> so the logo design, I reached out to Maria Fox in, in the neighborhood um, to maybe help me with my logo. And I remember we met at Logan Coffee House and we were sitting there. She said, I don't think I can help you with your business with this logo because what you need with it. And I was like, okay. But I had a contract that I asked her to read and she gave me the best advice. Um, they'll help you with this logo until you're happy. I would go with them. So when she said, go with them, I went with creative bearings to create my logo. And they, they did it like 12 times. It was so cool just to see how it developed um, with all the pictures and ideas I had. And now it's come to fruition. It came to fruition and I was wanting to look good because it's who you're going to represent. And I wanted to get on cups and t-shirts and hats. And now I see that it was just pretty cool when it was all came together. Yeah, it's a, I think that it's interesting just we were talking before and I hear you're passionate about your work and I'm the same way about the work that I do. When you talk to people that are really excited about what they're doing, they're just looking at it from a different perspective. You're providing a service to your clients um, but to you, it's so much more than that. And we talked briefly about just the relationships that you form. Um, can you, first, before we get into that, as you do want to get into those relationships a little bit, just your passion for the work itself. Um, from a business side, it seems like you are um, open to asking people for help, asking for people advice. That's something that I don't think everyone has naturally. And I uh, feel that I can ask people, but I'm also still not wanting to be perceived as I don't know certain things. And so there's a balance there, certainly within my mind. But I think the true answer is just be very honest with people where you're at and they'll help you at that point. Um, 
how did you get come about that where you're just so freely able to open for ask people or reach out in that way? What, where does that confidence come from? Um, I think when I was a kid growing up, probably at the at the YMCA when you're the only girl or woman or however you want to say it when you're that young and you want to get good, you go up to the guys that are playing hooping and you're like, can I play with you? And that's, I think, where my drive to uh, no one intimidates me just to go ask, just go ask. What's the worst they can say is no. So when people started saying, yeah, you can play, you can play, it just gave me now that drive later on in my life just to go ask someone what's the worst they can say is no okay then you just keep on going um so yeah when you started out um it seems like a a um, business where you could get clients pretty quickly and people need like was there was there an obvious need that you saw in the community for this service did it the business pick up pretty quickly initially or how did you kind of you've been doing this i think you said for five years now how, yeah, how did the initial? Yep, go ahead. Sorry. Six years now. So, go, how did that initial? Did you feel like, oh, I'm doing something really good. I've got it. I'm figuring something out here, or was it tough at the start? How how did the first start of the business go? It was just word of mouth, and who who do you need a dog walker? Who do you need for a dog walker? And this community, if you do something right and well, they're gonna talk about you, and that's how successful businesses run in, in Central Park. They just, they talk about you and it's the word of mouth business and they just started talking and then you kind of create a schedule and you can't help everyone out initially, but you just figure it out and you reach out to people in this industry because as a dog walker, people with dogs that work in this business in the neighborhood, um, you have colleagues and then become friends. So you kind of work together. If you can't do it, oh, call so-and-so. We're, we're a tight niche. The professionals with dogs in this in Central Park, we know each other and we communicate with each other and we help each other. That's cool. That that was probably something you didn't think about an issue that's really nice because I'm sure you're dealing with your clients, but besides that, it's lonely in the way that you're around dogs, which are wonderful, but the the human interaction um, whereas going to the office and you're interacting with people on different levels, this is your own business, you're running it yourself, you're away from other people. So it's neat that you formed a community and I see where that could be really beneficial for your business, a, a true win-win. It'd be beneficial for you, the clients, everyone um, together, because I'm sure it is a, a small subset of people who are doing exactly what you're doing. And then, did you make friendships out of that as well, I'm sure? I do, yeah. Um, Ginger Young, who owns uh, Jazzy Jacks, I remember calling her initially and we met at the there's the Asian restaurant I can't think of the name of right now um in Northfield and she she actually set told me how to license my business through the state of Colorado we're sitting there um but over time um she's taught me how to train dogs in ways and with questions it's just you can throw things at her and she teaches me how to do it or we go out for happy hour and just form a friendship. And now we've, I help her with online stuff, how to do social media. Um, yeah. So she's been great. That, that's very cool. Um, I thought it was interesting the way, and this is kind of the fascination of, of your own business versus, you know, how you perceive other things. Before we started this, you were talking just about kind of how you perceive 
your work and wanted to, again, your basketball basketball analogy, but it really seems like the way you truly live is by this kind of coach's mentality and doing that. Can you describe that for me a little bit, just how you kind of see yourself with the dogs and that interaction? Um, when I show up at their house, sometimes humans are home and they know the drill. They know why I'm there, what we're going to do. And I set the expectations. We keep it simple. We go out of the house. We do our walks. Sometimes we work on training. Sometimes they come to our, come to my house and I pick them up. They know we're getting in the car. We're hooking them up. There's all these little processes that we've created at the meet and greet. When I meet the dogs at first, they, I set the expectations at hello with the dogs. So you just create that relationship with them at hello. And it just all goes from there. Are you, when you're, I've seen pictures of people walking hundreds of dogs at a time. Are you, are you having one of those things where there are like 60 dogs in one leash that you're walking around or what is like, uh, what does your normal day look like? Cause this is something too that I'm, that I'm, that I have no idea how you do this. You have to be charging enough to make it and run your business and, and support yourself in this scenario. Um, you need to work with the clients and their expectations. There's a lot going on. So yeah, take me through kind of what a, what a normal day for you looks like. A normal day for me is I get up and I eat good. Uh, breakfast is made for champions. You have to eat right to start your day right. So I'm pretty routine oriented. Um, everything for my day is all already lined up in the car, ready to go. Um, you show up at the first house and my schedule is usually eight to 10 visits a day, depending. Everything's close usually. And sometimes I'll pick up one dog to walk to another dog's house, um, bring that dog that's from house one to house two, and we go inside the house that helps the dog with transition from leaving a car, going into a house, being quiet, no barking. People are home working. Even before I started my business, before COVID happened, people were already home and I would still come in their house and work with their dogs. So we do not want to upset anything in the house. And sometimes they don't even know I'm there to take their dogs because you're so quiet and there's so much structure and good behavior that was created with the dogs. Um, so just walk them around the neighborhood. Um, work When you're walking them, you see dogs that are acting right on different parts of the area sidewalks. And that's a way for me to train my dogs I'm working with to focus on our expectations and not focus on the distractions. Uh, I have a new dog, Tito, I've been working with now for about a year and a half. And he's a, service, he's a specially trained service dog. And he trains me how to work with dogs. If I had a dog that trained me the best, I'd probably say Tito, um, the service dog. He is a joy to my heart. I'll never forget the meet and greet. It was him and his youth and his mom. And the mom said to, to his son, show what Tito does for you. And when I saw Tito cover their son, like this dog is so important to this family. So that was just, it touches my heart <laughs> to work with Tito every day. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's so interesting to me is humans seem to be, I don't know, kind of over each other in so many ways and often mean to each other, but we all love dogs, like almost universally dogs, dogs are loved and I feel it's so warranted because they're just 
is pure love and pure joy and they just bring so much happiness we just had to put down our golden who was almost 11 so he died i felt like it was young um last year and it was so difficult um for us to lose a dog and and um i really didn't i think we had a great relationship but i don't think i appreciated him enough until he was gone and someone told me two things comforted me one person told me that um, dogs are learn how to love right away, so that's why they live shorter. And it takes humans a long time to, to love, so that's why we we live longer than that. And then the other thing is that dogs will give you most of the best days of your life, but one of the worst. And just kind of appreciating all the wonderful days and times that that um, I've had to be with him. How do you deal with that kind of thing when you are a dog lover like yourself, or even clients that have dogs that you get so attached to? And I'm sure think of you know your connection to them is so strong. How do you deal with that part of things that dogs do have such a short lifespan? I think one of the hardest parts of owning a dog business like this is losing the team members that I've lost over this six years of running G dogs. They do become part of your family. And with my business, I've even lost human clients with my business. I remember when we had to put three of our dogs down in the last um, four years during COVID. And I remember sitting there watching the vets and looking at it as a business perspective when I was putting our dogs on, like these vets have to do it every day, every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And just the how hard it is on their hearts as well in that profession. But uh, yeah, that's the hardest part of my business is when the dogs, when you lose the dogs, because I don't think people realize, um, people that work with the dogs, we create connections. So it's hard to say, it's hard to say goodbye to them or, you know, see you later or, and especially when there's more than one dog that you've worked with within the family and then their, their sibling dog is alone now. So that's a transition for them and what that looks like for them without their companion around. So I've seen that within my business. Let's let's turn to happier thoughts as I'm getting sad. <laughs> and sad yeah. Right, the exactly. Only, <laughs> the only thing that I think makes death okay is birth and life. Um, and when we get back to America at some point, we gotta figure out what the timing is right. Um, we wanna get a puppy for my son who's um, really excited about kind of raising a dog and it's probably gonna be a little dog. So it's gonna be interesting. I can't deal with barking. So it's interesting. So I may need to enlist you to help me figure out how to get these little dogs not to bark. Here in Poland, they have a ton of little dogs and they <laughs> bark all the time. And they, the Polish culture seems like they're completely fine with that. They, they, like they're not bothered by it. Or I feel like Americans, if there's barking all the time, people would be extremely annoyed. And I'm kind of that person. Um, give me some tips on puppy training. I get a new puppy. I don't want it to bark a lot. I don't want it to bite a lot within reason. How do I how do I do that? I want to smother it with my love, but I realize that probably that's not the way to do it. There needs to be, you know, some sort of um, I don't know, a leadership established. <laughs> Take me through it. Okay. When you before you even go get the dog, you have to get your house ready for a dog. So whatever your house looks like, it has to be puppy safe. And Speaking of you, if I, if I said, Dan, I want you to get the perfect small dog for you, a non-barking dog, a, non, a good social little dog, I think this breed does not get enough um, shout outs in the world. And those are Havanese. I work with a lot of Havanese dogs. 
Um, we have probably four or five consistently on our team. We got Andy Cohen. You got um, uh, Louie. I have Hazel um, and a few other ones I've worked with over my years. But those dogs are friendly, social, and they don't shed. But Team Havanese, I would first recommend Team, team Havanese for a puppy. Um, and you need a kennel. You need a small crate. Puppy trade, potty trading is critical. Um, I would re maybe recommend taking like two weeks off or a week off of work just so that you can establish good routines with your dog, maybe if that's important, the puppy at first. Um, yeah, the potty trading is, you might have to get up at, you know, two in the morning sometimes to let the dog out or work on the kennel training with the dog. It's all about steps and um, the correct diet for the dog, um, establish a relationship with the vet in the, vet in the neighborhood. That's good to do too. Um, yeah, puppy training. Plan it before you just go buy the puppy. But when you need help, when you get your puppy, you just call and I'll help you set it up. Um, yeah. Are you, are you noticing <laughs> that you're, you started out with your business dog walking? Did it quickly expand from there to dog sitting and training or stuff like that? How did that evolution come for you, were you, you, did you stay in touch with these mentors that were kind of showing you the business side of things? Because I think that's one of the hard things is, especially with your love for dogs, balancing the business side of it and what you need to be paid for your time and that you're literally spending time away from your own dogs who you love to be with these other, like how, how did you, how did the, the business side, I guess, evolve of how you're dealing with these, how you're charging for things? When I first started my business, I was, um, I house sat, so I stayed in people's houses and transition um bringing the dogs our our home worked um came about um one year before i one year after i started my business i was in a pretty bad bike accident and i broke my neck and during that time i had met my wife we weren't married at the time and rehabbed i was just sitting in our backyard a lot under the pergola. And I didn't realize how that yard in this house would change the tra trajectory of my business. So after I, when I got, after I got married, I just started bringing dogs um, to our house and started boarding dogs, a few dogs at a time. You know, right now we have um, sleeping cause it is 5 a.m. here and now we're probably at 5.30. I have uh, Otis and Lena. And Biscuit are all sleeping in my dog Zian's right here too. Um, so yeah, we board dogs and I pick up and drop off with that. And that's better for the transition of the dogs coming to the house. And it's not those so disturbing with um, people coming and going out of our house because I'm very particular who comes and even sees the dogs when they're here because these are my clients and I treat them like they're gold, so. Yeah, it's got to be difficult in that capacity because you're balancing so many different things and schedules. Um, but I bet it's like children, like your children typically are well behaved for other people. And they, come, <laughs> and they come back to you. Do you find that a lot with your clients? Is they're like, why is my dog doing this with you? There's little probably simple things that you notice and they don't. But you find that a lot where the clients are like, why is my dog doing so well with you? Um, yeah, they are. And that's why I tell them at meet and greets, the dogs will act better when you're not around. And I'm open to have anyone come see our, see our home. Um, sometimes I'll do videos so they can see like our yard and how we live here. And 
they they do act better, but it's not because I'm sterner or anything. I don't need to be. You just collect. You just set out clear expectations for for the dogs or the puppies or my dog acts anxious uh, when when they're with me or why don't they act that way with you? Well, because you're training them and you're creating the I create the expectations at hello at the meet and greet with them and what's good and what's acceptable is not acceptable so yes that is true and the dogs are reflections of a lot of the humans out there and that's a it's a good thing um most times but you're a lot like your dog just so you know <laughs> i had a golden retriever that i thought was my person my personality as well um get along with everybody pure love and joy but i think that one thing i try to learn from dogs still too is I am, I live an insanely good life and, and I'm so lucky uh, to have a healthy family and, and we try, like all, all I'm, I'm saying, that I think I'm the luckiest person that's ever lived, but I'm not happy all the time still. I think like in dogs, like are, they really, and I guess that that's not true. If they have what they need in life and they're with their family, basically that's all that they care about. They're just, they're, they're just constantly in the moment and happy. And I, I want to learn that from them and appreciate that more because they certainly do just always seem to be in the moment, have you learned lessons from the, the dogs? You feel like being around dogs constantly have taught you more about life? Um, yeah, you can't bring, so when I show up to each dog, whatever I'm going through personally from the dog before, I cannot bring that to the dog that I see because that energy will go on to the dog and you can't bring that energy onto the dog. When I broke my neck, um, I was, my, my wife at the time helped me a couple of weeks with my business and I was in pain sometimes getting back with the dogs, but I wouldn't, I didn't want them to know that because then they wouldn't have the good positive experience with me working with them during the time of that, that injury. Um, but yeah, there's one dog. There's only been one time I ever got bit by a dog. And that dog, it was one of my first visits. And he taught me how to enter home safely. What I learned from what I learned from that. After that happened, I phoned the client and I said, I want to come back in the afternoon and um, I bet it's gonna be different. And it was because the human was there of the dog. And she, the parent said, you take as long as you need to create the, a relationship with our dog. And that was the best word. One of the best words that a client had ever told me after something like that had happened. Um, and now that dog teaches me and other dogs how to walk better and um, walk together and be a leader. And it was just, that was, um, a, a scary time being bit by a dog, um, but you learn so much from that dog. So I'm sure scary for you and scary <laughs> for the client because they're worried about what'll come from it and all these other things. But it seems like your your attitude, which just to me just seems so positive about all this, and part of that's probably doing something that you love. Um, where do you, as we're kind of getting closer to our end here, where do you see yourself in the future with this business? How do you see your business evolving or what would your dream life moving forward look like with this? Uh, I see myself being coach G 
coaching dogs more, being known for training dogs more within the community. I'd love to help kids. I love kids that hustle. So when I see kids in the community, oh, I can pet sit, I can dog walk over the holidays, um, text my mom or the moms talk about the kids. I want those kids to learn how to do it safely and the right way because things can happen. And any kids in the neighborhood, if you want to walk dogs or you're, you know, ready to take care of cats, I, I play with cats too, um, reach out because there's things that can come up walking into homes or not, not understanding the dog that you're going to put a harness over them and you don't even have a relationship with that dog yet and you're just expected the dog to walk and go to the home and the family's out of town and they're even maybe not, they might not even know you. So um, I'd love to help kids in the community work with dogs better too, um, even their own dogs. Um, so I'd love to do that sometime in my future. Very cool. And I think it's neat because you're an exciting time with growing this business and that challenges your brain so much at this point too. And uh, at least the second career that you're having here too. I didn't ask you yet. How do you feel about yourself being called a badass here today? Do you feel like you're a badass? Um, I'm going to say 90%. Well, I think 90% the dogs know I'm a badass and 10% I'm a badass. Well, I think you are a badass and you've come from, um, sounds like a lot of difficult situations and overcome them, but still really have that. And I, I see that in sports too. And you talk about that tough love from the coaches. I don't know how to balance that. I think there is a balance of really some tough love pushing people forward in that capacity, which can push you to greatness, but also being nurturing and um, patient with people. Um, and I'm sure dogs learn that same way. And I see that with you from your sporting background, using that moving forward. Um, how can people support you in your business? How can they find you and support you? Um, you can find me on Instagram, G underscore uh, dogs. I'm on Facebook, um, G dogs, pet services. Um, just like my page. Um, yeah, just comment on posts if you like it, what we can do better. I always want to know what I can do better as a business. And just let me know if there's things that you want, you need from your dog. Your, even your cats, um, just ask. And I always want to know what to do better, I think, within my business. And I, just, I didn't ask, just, go ahead. I didn't ask you that. Um, COVID was weird with everybody being home. So they were, a lot of people, I'm sure, were taking care of their dogs. But also, COVID seems like everyone got a dog at that time. Did, was that a crazy time for you when that happened? Were you happy that you were up and running some years before that so you could? Um, work with that? What did COVID, that, how did that impact your business? What did that look like? I think COVID um, brought in a, a lot more dogs um, with a little anxious. They, they, tended, they tended to be a little bit more anxious um, because the parents were home a lot. COVID didn't really affect my business much. It was, it was still, still doing well. But the dogs at times would get more anxious. And I think their routines were messed up. So structure and consistency with me and me still showing up and supporting the dogs help them with their energy inside the house and giving them different experiences with me outside the house. Um, it was fun too, because kids were home a lot during that time. So I got to see some of the kids um, when I'd show up. And it, what COVID did for me too, just to see how these families in these homes multitask so much 
with a bunch of stuff that they were doing, trying to get the kids' lunches ready, the Zoom calls that they were doing. Um, yeah, just all the juggling that all the families I saw do just created me to hustle harder because they're hustling too during that time. And so, yeah. And as you made that statement, I think about the, that the women were doing. <laughs> I think about my own, and I'm sure there were some men, but I think about my own my own life and COVID and my wife's got the kids on their classes and I'm kind of struggling to do my one thing that I need to do, but my wife's doing 17 things beautifully while doing with all that. I'm gonna say the mamas of the mamas of Stapleton, whatever that looks like for your house, they keep, they're the glue together. They keep the glue of these houses running. They do it. Absolutely. All right. As we um, close out here, the last thing that I'm trying to get people to say now to own yourself as a badass is I just want you to state your name, Gina LeMay, and say, and I am a badass. And then I'll close it out here. Uh, I'm Gina LeMay and I'm a badass. Beautiful, Gina. You are. Thank you so much for your time and you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. Please go to iTunes or whatever provider you're listening on and give us a rating so we can do more of this important work. Please keep sending me suggestions of people we should interview on this show. And finally, and most importantly, please always remember that you, yes you, are a badass.